This morning, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite your attention to the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. We're continuing in a verse-by-verse study that we have called Things to Come, and the focus is that the more we understand and know about the prophetic future of time and of life, the better we understand how we are to live today. So once you've turned to Daniel chapter 1, we'll get to our text in a moment. I want you to look back this way, and we will proceed. At any given moment in time, every single person in this room is at a place where you could make a decision that would impact all of your life. In fact, one of the life lessons that I had somebody tell me this week, and I asked him, what are some things you learned from your dad? And he said, somebody's dad said, we're all one step from stupid. Be careful with the choices you make. Where you go, who you hang out with. And some of us have done stupid with zeros on the end of it. We've done aggressively stupid. But, but praise God. Most of us in here have not made decisions that have wrecked the rest of our lives. I know people that have made in a moment one decision that altered the course of the rest of their lives. Maybe it was a legal matter. Maybe it was a relational matter. But all of us make decisions, and and all of us have been there. I don't mean just bad decisions. You make decisions that change your life. You take a new job. You move to a new city. You ask her to marry you. You contemplate whether or not to say yes or no to him asking. Those decisions matter. Those decisions change your life. Would you agree with that? As we consider this notion of decisions, I found an incredible bit of advice from a father to his son. This was written in 1887. And it was a beautiful thing that there was a, a poem that he wrote. His son was about to embark into the world, and he wrote these words about those matters of choices. Listen. You're starting out, my boy, on life's journey along the grand highway of life. You'll meet a thousand temptations. Each city with evil is rife. The world is a stage of excitement. There's danger wherever you go. But if you are tempted to weakness, have courage, my boy, to say no. Encourage, my boy, alone lies your safety. When you the, th- the long journey begin. You trust in your heavenly Father, and that will keep you unspotted from sin. Temptations will go on increasing as streams from the rivulet flow. But if you'd be true to your manhood, have courage, my boy, to say no. Be careful in choosing companions. Seek only the brave and the true. And stand by your friends when in trial, near changing the old for the new. And when by false friends you are tempted, the taste of the wine cup to know, with firmness and patience and kindness, have courage, my boy, to say no. There will be decisions in your life that you need to make and you must make. And, And we're going to look at a decision that Daniel made. And it seems at first glance and first reading to be a small thing, but it turns out to be a huge thing that impacted his entire life. In fact, it will impact our lives even today as we continue to read this prophetic word from the book of Daniel. As we think about this father preparing his son, there are decisions that you'll need to make. Some of them are small and seem insignificant, but the reality is big decisions are the result of a series of smaller decisions. You are where you are today because of decisions that you've made. Perhaps even the decision 
of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Fathers prepare sons. And our Heavenly Father is in the process of preparing us. You need to hear this as we think about Daniel and his decision. God is far more interested in the worker than he is the work. He's far more interested in the minister than in the ministry. He's far more interested in shaping your heart and your life than the things that you do. For God knows that if you are who you're supposed to be, then what you do will be right. So we look together at Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Let's read together here from the Word of God. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and then compared or and thin compared to the others um, youth your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As you know, they're Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who were eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than all the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter regarding wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord in your hearing. The key to this whole passage is found in this very first verse that we read, verse 8, and in fact in the first two words. I want to encourage you, if you are of the type that writes in your Bible, underline those words, but Daniel. In fact, you could underline the first three, but Daniel resolved, but Daniel determined, but Daniel decided. Various translations say it different ways. He purposed in his heart. I've already said this, life is a series of choices. As mighty oaks grow from small acorns, so too our decisions we make soon turn and make us. Think about that. We make our decisions and then our decisions turn and they make us. You are today who you are because of the decisions that you have made years ago. Most of us don't realize how big small choices can be. And it's especially true when you're young. I want to speak to our young people today. If you're in middle school or in high school or in college, you realize that some of the most important decisions of life are made during that time in your life. 
Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to major in? Should I get married? And if so, when and who? And how will I meet them? Where will I meet them? What career will I choose? On and on. Who will be my best friends? What kind of music will I listen to? Or movies will I watch? Will I drink or take drugs? How far will I go in relationships? Will I keep myself pure? All those are small choices that need to be made. And as they are made, they build up to be life. And sooner or later, the most important question of all will come up. Will I trust and follow Jesus Christ? And the matter of that question is so vitally important for young people because statistically, roughly 90% of all of those that ever trust Christ do so before they reach their 18th birthday. Statistically, if someone does not come to faith in Christ by the time they're 18, the statistical probability of them ever trusting Christ plunges. So young people, I want to challenge you this morning, listen up. This is a vital message, not just about decisions that Daniel made, but about the working of God. Remember, I've already said this. This is about the preparation of God on the heart of the minister, not just the ministry. God has long been working in Daniel's life. And it's important for us to see that. Choices and decisions, which way will we go? As we consider the text of Daniel today, I want you to be reminded that Daniel is a teenager. He is a Jewish teenager, probably 14 or 15 years old. He has been ripped from everything familiar. He's been taken away from his home in Jerusalem and plopped down in Babylon. Uh, Probably 70 or so have been taken. Royal family members and, and those of noble descent. And these are the best and the brightest. They were taken as hostages by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were surgically emasculated. They were made to be eunuchs. And they began a process of assimilating them into the culture. The the king asked his chief of staff to bring the best of the best. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are brought into this place. And they are among those that are the best of the best. And they are to be trained for three years. Trained in literature and trained in language to learn Babylon. To learn the ways of the world around them. To learn about that pagan culture. They could look like Jews on the outside, but Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to think like Babylonians on the inside. Not unlike the process that goes on in America today. You can look like a conservative Christian young person, but we want you to think like a secular humanist. We want you to think in a different way, and universities move that way. The goal was clearly assimilation. So they've been ripped away from their homes, and these God-fearing Jewish teenagers are now being trained by a pagan king. For three years, they're going to be immersed in this language program and this learning program so that they'll be in the service of the palace. They will serve him there. Ultimately, it's a sophisticated form of brainwashing. He changed their names and gave them the names of pagan gods of Babylon. He began to push upon them all of this learning. And I shared with you last week that Daniel drew the line when it crossed and violated God's word. We'll get there in a moment. I want you to see two more words. If you'll go back with me to verse 4 for just a moment. They are to select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge and good judgment. And they are, I love this, suited to serve. You may want to underline that, suited to serve. What I want to do today is give you four words that mark a life that counts for God. 
If you want your life to count for God, then all four of these elements need to be a part of your life and your thinking. You see, church family, you need to understand God was working in Daniel's life long before he was a 14-year-old in the palace of Babylon. God had been working behind the scenes. And as we look at this first word, let me give it to you. The word is foundation. They were suited to serve. They had a foundation. God began working in Daniel's life long before this. God gave Daniel some godly influences. He saw to it. Think about this. He was born into the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah was a good king. And Daniel was born while Josiah was king. He was the only good king that Judah ever had had. They had been under the reign of a bad king for 57 years. Hear that, folks. Can you imagine being stuck under the reign of leadership you didn't like for 57 years? Aren't you glad now that we have an election every four years? Even though it becomes a media circus and some of you are going, oh, no, not again. 55 years Manasseh was king and he was wicked and evil. Manasseh set up pagans, uh, pagan idols all over the place. Manasseh was a man who thumbed his nose at God. He forgot about the worship of the temple. He was a wicked and godless king. In fact, scripture says about Manasseh that God did not even forgive him. He refused to. After his 55 years, his son Amon became king, and Amon only lasted two years. He was so vile and wicked that Scripture says that his own cabinet, his own officers, conspired against him and killed him. So you've had for 55 years the most heinous and wicked leadership that Judah had known. For two years, you have a king that absolutely is ineffective, and Josiah takes the throne. Josiah was eight years old when he became king in Judah, eight. But he was in that lineage, and the priest came alongside him and helped him. Now, I want you to hear this. When he was 16, the Bible says in the eighth year of his reign, so he was a 16-year-old, his heart was softened toward the things of God. And Josiah led the greatest revival in the history of revivals. Never has there been a revival of a people of God like that. You see, in the 12th year of his reign, he began to push to set up. He tore down idols and he set up again the the worship in the temple. They went about raising money and renovating the temple. And while they were renovating the temple, they found a book. It was the book of the law. That didn't surprise some of you. That ought to be the most shocking thing that I've said already. Can you imagine? It is almost unthinkable to me that the book of the law could be lost in church. And yet that's the experience that many people have today. I know a ton of Christians that go to church every single week and they never open their Bible and they never read their Bible and they never follow their Bible. As far as they're concerned, the book of the law might as well just be lost. And the scribe brought the book to Josiah and he tore his clothes in repentance and he cried out to God and he made everybody stand and they read the word of God for the people and they said, from this day forward, we will follow Jehovah. We will reestablish our connection with the God who has provided and cared for and protected. He focused in on God. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Can I just say this? That common experience is happening in churches everywhere, not just because people aren't reading their Bibles, but there are a whole lot of pulpits where the Bible's not preached. 
Can I make a declaration to you? As long as I'm the pastor of this church, the book of the law will not be lost at Hardy Street. We will follow the inspired and errant and fallible word of God, for I have nothing else to offer you but the word of God. Oh, that it would never be said of us. I, I want to challenge you, by the way. Bring your Bible to church. I know you can turn it on. You can, you can open up an app, but it says something. to say. I'm going to bring my Bible. You can mark in it and write in it and study it and turn to it. One of the dangers of just following digitally is that you don't know where books of the Bible fall and if you have to turn to them you realize that Daniel comes after Genesis maybe you knew that already but you need to realize that you can turn to those books and that's important bring your Bible to church amen all right let's continue I want you to think about this Josiah is on the throne Jeremiah is in the pulpit God is bringing revival and there's a little boy named Daniel running around the kingdom. Don't miss that. Who was taken to Babylon? Those of noble descent. Daniel was probably in and around the palace. In fact, we have good evidence that he was probably related to King Zedekiah. So Daniel saw the revival going on. He saw around the dinner table of the kings men and women who were turning their hearts to God. But if you were to judge this revival by the family of Josiah, you would say this is a miserable failure. You see, all of Josiah's sons were a nasty lot. They were pretty wicked themselves. They turned out to be horrible kings. They didn't listen. And you would say that revival was a flop. I mean, God, God touched Josiah, and there were a lot of good reform that happened, but it didn't last. Oh, my friend, it did last because there was a little boy named Daniel. And God touched his heart, and he touched Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and he touched them in such a way that years later, they would become the only hope for the nation, and they become hope for me and you. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick and tired of the culture that we live in. I'm just, can I be honest and say that real quick? I, I'm weary of it. I'm weary of the news. I'm weary of the struggle. I'm weary of the divide. I'm weary of all of the tactics of Satan. But can I tell you, in the middle of that, as I read the book of Daniel, there is hope. There is hope because God is sovereign and God is still in control and he's on his throne. And so Daniel, even today, is a product of the revival of his childhood and God moved and spoke. Now, what am I saying to you in this? I believe if you want your life to count, you need to recognize that there's a foundation. It doesn't start with you saying, well, I want to do things for God. No, God's been working in your life long before today. And I hope that you would go back and recognize it. I hope that you would go back and consider lessons that you've had in Sunday school and experiences you've had in prayer and times you've had in revival that you would see how God has been working to bring you to this place. Maybe you've not totally surrendered your life to the Lord today but I want you to see that his working in your life to lead you to a place where even today you would make a decision you see it all ties together I started by saying decisions matter decisions in your life and in my life matter Josiah had four sons Jehoiahaz Jehoiakim Zedekiah he had a grandson named Jehoiachin that all became king and all of their lives were not touched by this revival but when Daniel was tested he stood and he stood strong. He purposed in his heart. Go back to verse 8. But Daniel. God's preparation of a person is a thing of wonder. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah says. God's been working on you. So Daniel is tested. He is, 
he is pressed to eat the food from the king's kitchen. You realize that the pressure that's put on there. I mean, the king had this for lunch, and I'm having it for supper. He's a 14-year-old. You would think, I've never eaten food so rich, so exquisite. I've never had a meal so luscious, and that's just because it's Thursday. I mean, it's every day of the week. You're eating the food from the king's table. The problem is that this food was unclean by God's legal standard. God had told them not to eat it. And in fact, it's all been sacrificed to a Babylonian God. And so Daniel said, no, I will not do it. He said, my Bible tells me that's wrong, and I will not do it. And therein we see the second of the four points. It's this. We see in Daniel the mark of resolution. There was a foundation God had been working, but he resolved in his heart. Some of you have not resolved anything in your heart other than you're wanting to go to lunch this afternoon. I have resolved in my heart I'm going to leave this place and go eat lunch. And hopefully it won't be too long before then. Some of you are thinking that way. But you need to resolve in your heart that you're going to follow the Lord. Young people, you need to resolve in your heart that you're going to follow the Lord. You're going to let him mark you out. Choices shape our lives. Decisions matter. Daniel stood. Now, let me remind you of how big a deal this is. Because you look at it and say, well, he just decided he wasn't going to eat. Let me remind you who Nebuchadnezzar was. In Jeremiah 52... They are about to take Jerusalem for the final time. You remember there were three deportations. He came and got Daniel and his friends in 606, and in 586, they, they, they ransacked all of Jerusalem. King Zedekiah saw that it was coming, so he decided he would run. And so King Zedekiah ran out of the king's garden, and on his way out, King Nebuchadnezzar had him captured, and they brought him in front of the king. And you can read about it in Jeremiah 52. He gathered all of his children before him. And one by one by one, he slaughtered all of Zedekiah's children. You know what he did after that? Just so you know who Nebuchadnezzar is, he took a hot sword and he placed it in the eye sockets of King Zedekiah. The last thing that that king would see was the ruthless murder of all of his children. And then Nebuchadnezzar had him bound, blind, and taken back to Babylon to rot in a Babylonian jail cell for the rest of his life. That's who we're talking about. We know more about him. If you've read the book of Daniel, he had a a knack for throwing people into fiery furnaces and had a knack for throwing people to hungry lions. This is an evil, powerful, bloodthirsty man. And this 14-year-old kid dared to stand up to him. I don't want you to see, well, I just decided one day I wasn't going to eat that because I didn't like it. No, he's not being a finicky eater. He's saying, I am resolved that I will follow God. And some of you need to realize that even when the stakes are high, you need to stand and follow the Lord. He was taking his life in his own hands when he did this. In fact, the chief of staff said, I'm scared that if I feed you this other food, he'll kill me. Think about this. It doesn't take much to find an excuse not to do the right thing. Daniel didn't need an excuse. He'd already decided to say no. But we can construct all kinds of rationale. And don't look at me too spiritual because you know that in your heart of hearts at times you do this. And I do too. Daniel could have thought all kinds of things. Satan will gladly make the list for you. Daniel could have said, wait a minute, I'm just a kid. 
Why should I be expected to turn down the good life? Daniel could have said, look at all those other fellows. We don't know how many others ate the food. We know that it was at least four that said no. Why should the four of us be denied the king's wine and meat? Why should they? Everybody else is doing it. Sounds like peer pressure to me. Daniel could have said, I'm far away from home and mom and dad will never know. Someone once said that character, true character, is when you know that absolutely nobody will find out. It's what you do then. Daniel also knew that if he disobeyed, he might not be around very long. So think about this. Nebuchadnezzar, who had the knack for throwing people into fires, could have easily killed him. Daniel could have said, now, Lord, I want to serve in the king's palace, and I want to have some influence Doesn't that sound spiritual? I'm going to disobey God for a spiritual purpose. And Hardy Street, listen to me. I know too many people that want to tell God what they think they ought to do and try to justify it before God instead of just stopping and listening. Maybe we would do better if we would stop and just listen to the Lord. Maybe we would do better if we would stop and just let His Word speak into our lives. Number next. Well, no, no, excuse me. Let me get to a sub-point here I want you to see. We are called to live uncompromising lives. We are called to live uncompromising lives. Daniel would not compromise. You would think he could have just bent a little bit. He could have just fudged a little. He could have cut a corner. Don't settle. Don't compromise. Don't play around with sin is my encouragement to you. You need to understand that when you stand, it will encourage you. It will bring courage. It will bring conviction. I wish I had time to really invest all through this passage, but one of the things that I see is courtesy. Daniel says, please, and he's kind to the staff. It brings courage and conviction, but it brings courtesy. I know so many people today that are on the side of right, but they're jerks about it, so they lose any sense of being able to speak to a culture around them. I don't know one person yet that has read a Facebook meme and that changed their life. Would you quit arguing with people on Facebook and certainly stop calling them names? Some of you would do better just to get off of social media altogether and spend that time reading the Word of God. Some of you are more worried about social justice or about a flag change or about Confederate statues than you are the gospel. I'm just being as honest as I can be. Do those things have a place in our lives? Yes. Do we with wisdom need to understand how we should respond to those things? Yes. But I'm, I'm afraid that Satan has sold us a bag of goods and we're so focused on the culture around us that we've lost sight of the Christ that's within us. We're to live an uncompromising life. Can I just tell you this very quickly? Anytime in Scripture you see somebody compromise, it leads to loss. Anytime. There are people that will tell you, well, if you're going to get ahead, you may have to cut corners. You may have to to cut some deals. You may have to compromise in some place. It takes no guts to, excuse me, it takes guts to say no. Whether it was 2,600 years ago or last night, you need to realize that it makes no difference. The resolution of Daniel ought to be a reminder to you and me, whether it's in the political realm or in the church or in business or in personal life, that we do not need to bend the rules to be blessed by God. Success is not dependent on compromise. Daniel stood strong. Let me give you a few examples. 
Everywhere you see compromise struck in the Bible, you see loss. Adam and Eve compromised God's law, and they fell into rebellious sin, and what did they lose? Paradise. Abraham compromised the truth and lied about Sarah, and he almost lost his wife. Sarah compromised God's word and sent Abraham to her servant. And when he went to Hagar and bore Ishmael, we lost peace in the Middle East. Esau compromised to meet with Jacob and lost his birthright. Aaron compromised his convictions about idolatry and he lost the privilege of seeing the Holy Land. Ahab compromised and married Jezebel and he lost his throne. Ananias and Sapphira compromised their word about giving and they died. They lost their lives. Judas compromised his supposed love for Christ for 30 pieces of silver and he lost his eternal soul. Is it any different today? The message of our culture is if you want to get ahead then you may need to break a few rules to do it. And I want to stand boldly and tell you no. Young people no. You don't have to. You can listen to the Lord. You can follow the Lord. You can follow his word, and you can trust him. Everywhere you see compromise, you will find loss. My question is this. To all of you, very quickly, do you draw the lines where God draws the lines? I'm not talking about your own personal preferences and opinions. Do you say, this is the line in the sand because God said so? You know, the bumper sticker for years said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If God said it, that settles it. We need to trust in the Lord. What would it look like if we decided to be those people? In 2020, this, the craziest year on record in most of our life, what would it look like if the group of, of people that are gathered here this morning at 1508 Hardy Street said, we will follow the tenets of the Word of God? What would it look like? It would turn Hattiesburg right side up. It would turn the Pine Belt upside out or inside out. It would, it would radically transform the world around us. I'm going to make my stand on what God says. I don't care what it costs or what other people think. God rewarded him. The third mark I want you to see is this. A life that counts for God has a foundation and a resolution, but it also has protection. I love how verse 9 starts. If you've underlined or circled but Daniel in verse 8, you need to underline or circle now God in verse 9. But Daniel, now God. And as we follow through, we see that God blessed them. Adrian Rogers once said this, there's no place like the safety of being in God's will. You get out of God's will and you're on your own. Daniel stood strong and he had protection. I love this. Look at verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. God blessed him with special influence. He, he also blessed them with special insight. In fact, if you look at verse 17, verse 19, verse 20, you begin to see that the king inspected them. So they go through 10 days and they look better. And then they go through all three years of training and the king brings them in. And he begins to question them. And in questioning them, he's overwhelmed at how wise they are. He's overwhelmed at their ability to interpret dreams. Daniel has been given a special gift by God. And that ultimately is what this whole book is about. Verse 17 is the fulcrum for the entire book of Daniel. Look at it with me for just a moment. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And look at this. And God gave 
Daniel. What does it say? The special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. This is a book of visions and dreams. And that verse tells us that God did it. So sometimes we are tempted to say, well, my pastor told me I need to be more like Daniel. I, I would say that. Yeah, you need to be more like Daniel, but you need to trust in Daniel's God. God is the one who did it. God gave the revival that he grew up in. God gave him special favor. God worked what your job is to obey. Trust him. Trust him and obey. And God blessed him. And finally, I want you to see this. The word is satisfaction. If you'll go down to verse 21, you can look at the the first two words there. Daniel remained. (laughs) I love this. The word is satisfaction. There is a foundation God has been at work. Maybe even today you say, you know what? I hadn't been in church in a while and God drew me back to this place. He he told me I needed to be here and you came today. That's not by accident. God's working in your life. I'm grateful that you're here. Nobody today that's here is here by accident. Maybe God's brought you here to unite yourself and serve in and through this church. Maybe he called you here today so that you would trust him and be saved forever. I don't know what God's done, but there's a foundational work that happens. And then we come to a place of resolution where we make up in our heart and mind, I'm going to do it God's way, not my own. That's what Daniel did. And from there, he found a place of protection. God watched over him. And then ultimately, we see Daniel remained. And I call this one satisfaction. Daniel remained until the first year of King Darius' reign. Think about this. Darius comes along 70 years after the besieging of Jerusalem. The Medo-Persians take over 70 years later. I have to believe this, and this is some speculation. But Darius comes to a place after 70 years where he signs letters of intent, and he sends people back to Jerusalem. And he says, you want to go rebuild the city? Go. Nehemiah was involved in that process. Who told him those things? Daniel has been in the palace for 70 years. And I just can imagine that over the dinner table that Daniel at times, who has stood so strong, told him about a prophecy that had been given. That the people would be in Babylon for 70 years and they would go back. And I would imagine that King Darius was probably so enamored with Daniel's wisdom that we see God favored him so much that it says Daniel remained. I love that. Daniel is a consistent source all the way through of courage and conviction. And God blessed him and gave him longevity in his ministry and life. We know that from the gospel writers that when the star was found from the east, the magi, the wise men came. We know that Daniel had a hand in speaking truth to those men hundreds of years before. He was the chief of the Magi while he was in Babylon. I can't help but consider the words of Scripture where it says in First Chronicles, these words, excuse me, First Samuel, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. Let's wrap this up. I've given you some so what, now what's. What do you do with these thoughts, the takeaways? The world is going to continually try to reprogram us in a different way to thinking. It happened to Daniel. 
It happens in a systematic brainwashing, even through the media today and through the world system. And what's important is that Daniel drew a line and said no. Some of you need to resolve today. Dads, you're shaping the hearts and lives of sons and daughters. You're shaping the lives of grandsons and granddaughters. Teach them to say no where God says no. Teach them to walk in the word. Teach them to walk by the word. Teach them in very subtle ways. They're having wave after wave after wave come at them. You need to stand against that onslaught. You be the man of God that guides them. You be the foundation for their lives. You see, Daniel had a supernatural foundation of revival, but God put Josiah in his life, and God put others like Jeremiah in his life. Maybe God's put you in the life of a young person, and you need to stand strong and say, I'll be resolved, I'll be resolute so that I can be the foundation for someone else. Secondly, we need to make up our minds in advance that we're going to be loyal to God. And finally, godly convictions yield God-given rewards. You said that doesn't always work, Pastor. Bad things still happen. You're right, but God's still in control. In just a couple of weeks, we'll talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood before the king, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't burn. They, they're thrown into the fire. And what they said to the king was this, King, you may throw us into the fire, and God may deliver us through the fire, not from it. But either way, we're not going to bow to you. We're not going to do what you tell us to do. We're not going to listen to you. We're not going to compromise the word of God. Some of you need to realize that if you read the end of the book, we win because he already won. And you may go through difficulty here. You hear Adrian Rogers' statement and say, how in the world can it be safe to be in the middle of God's will and be attacked. I've got friends on the mission field who have been brutally attacked in, in countries of difficulty. And you would look at that and say, how in the world did God let that happen? And they have rejoiced that he let his own son suffer. He'll let us suffer at times for a little while so that we trust him all the more. But we are promised an eternity that this world simply cannot hold a candle to. The eternal weight of glory is far beyond and outshines anything that this world could ever throw at you. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord in your darkness and realize that He is eternal light. Trust the Lord in your light and realize that He is far greater than anything that this world can temporarily afford you. Be like Daniel. Stand strong and trust in His God. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We are so grateful for your leadership in our lives. God, thank you for this account of Daniel and his friends. Use it in our lives in a significant way. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we leave, for time's sake, we're not going to sing. And, and in the past several weeks for our invitation, I'm going to ask those that are encouragers, if you would, after we finish, would you kind of make your way up here? We've got some folks that need to make decisions. And if they do, we want them to be able to find you quickly so you can walk them through those decisions. Uh, if you are new to our church, you need to realize that on, a, on any given week, we give a full invitation. We ask people to walk down the aisle. In the midst of this COVID pandemic, we have established just a simple system. If you need to talk to somebody or pray with someone, just stay put. Just hang around for a few minutes, and at the end of the service, here at the front, you'll find encouragers and staff members, and they'd love to pray with you and talk to you 
about how to have a relationship with God. They would love to pray with you and talk to you about your current life situation. You just trust him in whatever decisions you need to make. I pray that you'd have a glorious day today. Dads, dads, happy Father's Day. So thankful for each and every one of you and for your leadership in our church and in your family and in our community. Let's be the standard that says no where God says no and say yes to the things that God says yes to. And let's turn this city upside down. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.